know what's interesting um, when we do songs like that? It's just the way my mind works and the way I've got a billion different things going on in it. It takes a while sometimes for me to just check in, even in moments like that. And for me, like just now, it's like one of my favorite lines of the song is just, you know, and as you speak, speaking of Jesus on the cross, a hundred billion failures disappear. I don't know if that caught your attention, but man, I, I need to hear that on a regular basis. Just because of the failures that I experience on a weekly basis, daily basis. Just to know that I'm loved, to know that I'm cared for. And that's the beauty of songs like that. It's not a rushed song. It just unfolds over the course of five to six minutes, getting to the, the, the focal point of the song being the redemption of Jesus. And our redemption from the cross whole point of that whole song and you don't really get there till the end and it leads us on this journey of saying hey every time you look at creation you see God it's he's there whether you acknowledge him or not every burning star every painted sky you see God's heart and in the fast-paced society we live in we seldom see that stuff anymore like my daughter for Christmas I believe it was Christmas we got her binoculars so that she could look at the moon um, they're like like telescopic binoculars or something. No, they're huge. Um, but gosh, when you look at the moon up close, it's like you you literally just go throughout your life for years and you don't realize the marvel that just our moon is until you look at it up close. And you're like, oh my gosh, to, ma the, to think that there's valleys and craters and mountains on that thing and that I can see them from this thing. Scripture tells us you see the heart of God. In the day that we're talking about, just to connect with God on that level, it requires something we don't have a lot of, and that's time. And that's why today we're just like, we're going to take some time, we're going to slow down. We're an extremely hurried culture. We want everything now. We want everything yesterday. Um, I, you know, there's this thing now called hurry sickness, like we have hurry sickness in our culture. I don't know if you've heard about it. Um, we're going we're, we're gonna to talk about it, but you know, we think hurrying is going to buy us more time. So we hurry, um, we, think, uh, we think waiting is bad and we hate to wait. And so what I thought we would do, um, just to liven up the room after kind of sitting and listening, is we're gonna take a hurriedness sickness quiz, okay? And so how we're gonna do that is I'm gonna ask every one of you to stand up. So go ahead and stand up. And so basically I'm gonna read off some things and if you've done them, I want you to sit down, all right? So and this is, and this is let me just tell you, we are in church. You can't lie in here, right? Because I'm like, this is not a lightning-proof roof, okay? I'm just kidding. So if you, just total honesty here. First one, I'm going to do it too. Sit down if you have done work on your phone while on the toilet. Okay, that's me. All right, I'm out. <laughs> you people are sick, man, disgusting. Sit down if you have stood in front of the microwave and actually verbally yelled at it to hurry up. Sit down if you've ever done that. Oh, we got a couple people on that one. I know, right? Come on, time. Sit down if you have complained about how long it takes to download a song. Oh, yep. Got, got, a, got a handful more there. Um, sit down 
if when listening to someone, you have nodded faster to help them speed up, like you've tried to get them to be done. <laughs> That's so funny. All right, sit down if you pick a lane at the grocery store. Don't sit down yet. You pick a lane at the grocery store by counting up the amount of people and the amount of stuff in carts as you kind of walk down the aisles. And then you get in the one with the least amount of people and then you keep track of where you would have been if you would be in the other line. <laughs> sit down if that's you. <laughs> okay, we got a few more in. Um, sit down if you have knocked on the fast food window to get them to hurry up. So have you ever, have you ever done that? Okay, good. All right, sit down if you have walked into someone or something while texting. Sit down if you have ever done that. All right, we have three winners still. I've only got a couple more. Uh, let's see. Uh, sit down if you have run out of, the serv of a service at Kensington to hurry to get to the next thing on your daily task list. None of you? Give these guys a hand. They do not have hurry sickness. You do not. All right, well, before we get into kind of the meat of the day with where we're going, um, I'm going to pray for us because I believe God has something really uh, specific and beautiful to give to each one of us about our lives and your individual specific life um, that he sometimes can only say when we're in situations and rooms and places like this. So let me pray. Lord, I thank you for um, an hour of our time to just sit and be still and listen. Um, God, I pray that you would speak through me, through the videos, through the songs that we do, through the rest of this day um, to us in a way that only happens when we slow down for brief moments in our time and we listen. So um, God, speak, speak clearly, speak loudly, speak individually to each one of us. And um, Lord, we will receive that and we will respond accordingly in your name. Amen. All right. Well, last week, Bill spoke about work. Uh, he did a great job. I enjoyed his talk. It was nice to be able to sit there and listen, which was fantastic. Um, and if you missed it, go back and listen to it online, kensingtonorlando.org. You can catch the message, watch it there, or listen to it. Um, so today we're talking about the flip side of the coin. He talked about work. We are, we're going to talk about something that has to be connected to our work, and that is rest. Um, and why we want to talk about it is because when you get into, not only do we have hurry sickness like we just found out, when you get into kind of our culture, you find that um, we're different now than we were even 20 years ago. In fact, ABC News came out with a study that said that Americans work on average um, of nearly um, a, a one more month a year today than we did 20 years ago. We work that much more time in our jobs than we did just 20 years ago. The Washington Post, um, in an article titled, Why Being Too Busy Makes Us Feel good, um, says somewhere around the, the turn of the, uh, the end of the 20th century, busyness became not a way of life, it became a badge of honor, where we kind of looked at it and said, I'm so busy, and I don't know if you've met people like that, but they are busy 100% of the time. Every time you talk to them, they're telling them what they got to do next, and they're exasperated, and, and that's kind of a badge of honor, because busyness is next to um, important, you know, like we think if you're busy, you're important. Um, you know, in our American uh, version of Christianity, uh, sometimes I think we have rewritten some of the beatitudes attitudes. It's like, blessed are the busy because they will inherit the earth. You know, it's like the busier you are, the more you can earn, the more you can make, the more you can take, uh, the more you will own the earth. Busyness, is, for some of us, is close to godliness. You know, it's not cleanliness. No, it's busyness. It's because I'm more like God. God's busy. I, I, I'm busy. 
Well, Tim Keller, he's an author, he's a pastor, he wrote a book called Every Good Endeavor. Um, he points out a reason so many of us stay so busy in our careers and lives, and he calls it the work beneath the work. Um, as to why would we do that? Why would we live our lives so busy? Why would we live our lives running around like crazy people? He says it's the work beneath the work, which is the underlying motivation behind the work that we do. And he just says the work for some of us, the work beneath the work for some of us is we really want to please other people. We work hard because we want to please our boss, we want to please our clients, we want to please our coworkers, and that drives us to be busy and work super hard and super long hours. Um, the work beneath the, other, beneath the work for others is, uh, it can, can be money. We work really hard because we want to live in that house, we want to drive that car, um, we want to wear those clothes, we want to have nice things for our kids, we want a vacation in those places like other people around us. So the work beneath the work is really, well, we just want to make a lot of money because we want to do those things, have these things, and have this lifestyle. For others of us, the work beneath the work is because we want to feel important. We believe that having the, the, the title that we have or working at the company that we work at or going to the school that we go to or having the grades that we have or, or having these types of children makes us who we are and makes us feel important. And often, rather than just one of those, it's multiple layers of those, which is the work beneath the work, which is why work is so exhausting and meaningless at times. And so here's the consequence um, if we live that way and we're not aware of it, we're not, we're not cognizant of, of the, the busyness that we've allowed to kind of infiltrate our life, um, if we don't take the time to see what God has to say on a subject like that, we run the, the risk of letting large chunks of our lives go by for something as insipid as busyness and do it for all the things that, that drive us to be that way, the work beneath the work. And so knowing this about us, our, our propensity to stay busy as a way to please others, not miss out on anything, make more money, or feel important, God, in his wisdom, he really instituted something with the nation of Israel uh, in the time of Moses. It was called the Sabbath. It was called the Sabbath. When the, it's where the entire nation of Israel was commanded in the Ten Commandments to take an entire day off work, an entire day off work, zero, completely unplug, completely rest. Practicing Jews still do this today, believe it or not. Um, I think they've gone a little overboard, so we actually got to go to Israel um, back in April, and, um, and one of the things that they do, because you're not allowed to work on the Sabbath, is in, in buildings that have more than one floor and have an elevator, the elevator automatically stops at every floor, so you don't have to push the button, because pushing the button is considered work. How crazy is that, right? But that's what they do. So it's like they, they told us, we were going into a hotel, they said, hey, make sure when you're coming down to leave in the morning, leave extra time because the elevator's gonna stop at every floor if you're on a high floor and it's gonna take you a lot longer because if you push a button, that's considered work. That's how far they've taken it. And you know, we're not gonna go that far today. Like I'm not gonna say, hey, you can't push a button on, your, uh, on the Sabbath, but it's the principle that's important. And we wanna look at work from God's perspective um, and go, why would he command to keep a Sabbath every day of the week out of the 10 commandments written in stone, like literally written in stone? Um, why would he pick one of them? Why would he take a 10th of all the commandments to all of mankind to say, this is how you're to live your life for me? Why would he take one and say, you, you have to rest, you have to observe and keep a Sabbath in your life on a weekly basis. So we're going to look at four purposes of 
the Sabbath, um, kind of behind the concept that God introduces to Israel and still wants us to keep. Today, we're going to start in the book of Exodus, written by Moses. Um, Moses, many of you have heard about it. Maybe you've seen the cartoon about him where he leads the Israelites, you know, through, through, through the Red Sea and uh, all the stuff that he did. Um, but Moses, very famous person in history, um, famous for doing great miracles for, for God. I mean, like crazy miracles. Um, he wrote the first five books of the Bible, which is where we're going to get uh, most of our scripture from today, or from the writings of Moses, because it's the first recorded time that God said to people, you have to take a Sabbath. In fact, I'm putting it in the commandments, and this is where he does it, Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. Um, he says to Moses, and uh, Moses tells the people, remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock. Like you can't even let your, your, your donkey do any work that day. And any foreigners living among you. So it's like God like covered all the bases. Like it's not you, you can't send anybody to work, you can't use your animals for work. Um, there, there's no one that you can put to work, including yourself, for in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, blessed the Sabbath day, and set it apart as holy. So with that as a backdrop, I want to give you four purposes of keeping a Sabbath day in your life. The first purpose of a Sabbath in your life is Sabbath is an act of rest. Sabbath is an act of rest. We need rest physically, emotionally, and spiritually. God introduced it, and it's a way of resting from your work. Work for six days, take a seventh completely off. It's different. It's set apart. It's holy. On that day, there's no work, but you seek after God-centered rest. And I think the reason God gave that to us is because he did it, first and foremost, in the very beginning after working, he created the universe in six days. God set the seventh day apart. He made it holy, and he rested on that day. Now, because God is God, we know he didn't have to. He wasn't like oh my gosh, I'm so tired, this is so hard. Like, that's not God, he's not like us in that way. He didn't have to rest, he modeled rest because it was something that was good. So as people made in his image, we can conclude that rest and the things we do when we rest are beneficial, they're good, they're life-giving to us as humans, just as they were to God. We keep a Sabbath, and if we do, we will be blessed by God for it because he said it's a blessed day when you keep it you bring the blessing of the Sabbath day into your life every day, every week. We need rest physically, emotionally, and spiritually. If we don't, let me just tell you, if you're going seven days a week, it's, you're going to have similar issues to my computer when I don't let it rest and reboot. This week, this is so funny, I actually counted up on my computer. I had 17 tabs open on Safari on the internet. 17 tabs on my computer open. I had eight Word docs documents with various messages and whatnot I was working on. I had two Excel files open. I had two PowerPoint presentations, one with scripture and one with a game for Edge on Wednesday night. I had iMessages open. I had Teams and Office 365 open. I had Adobe Acrobat Reader open. I had Outlook open. I had Photos open. And I had iTunes open on my computer. Uh, uh, this was on Thursday. So let me just ask you, how do you think my computer was running? Even for my MacBook, which is far, far superior to any PC out there. 
It was not running well. It was slow. It was groggy. It was constipated. It was like I would click something and the little beach ball would show up. And I'm just telling you, if I run that way, if I run it that way for two to three weeks and I don't shut everything down and restart it, my computer's not a happy camper. And while it might not break down, it doesn't work properly. It might not die. It's not going to function the way the creators of it intended it to. And I will just tell you, if I run my life the way I run my computer, I function improperly. I'm groggy. I don't function as God intended. I'm unable to respond properly. I get stuck. I get constipated, you know, not necessarily the way you're thinking, but just, I just get bound up because I have anywhere I turn is just chock full of something. I have no margin to, to think, to respond, to rest, to hear God's voice. I get frustrated with myself when I do this. And sometimes I don't even know why I'm so frustrated and angry. But if I were to stop and think, I got 17 browser windows open in my mind. I've got 10 projects unfinished. I've got 15 phone calls that I just haven't been able to make and, and I don't want to make because I know if I make one, I got to make more and they take so long to happen. It's like I, everything just falls apart. You need a day of rest. I need a day of rest. And for you, it may not be a weekend day kind of for me, so Sundays are a work day for me. I'm up around 4, 4.15 on Sunday mornings and I'm going to be here till 1, 1.30 and then I'm going to go home and I'm pretty much wiped for the rest of the day. Um, and so really my day off, my one day that I take completely off is Mondays. And I will just tell you, it's, it's a struggle to keep it. Just this last week, we had a meeting that we needed to schedule this week. And, and I'm like, I'm talking with Bill, and I'm like, hey, let's set that for Monday. And Bill says, no, no, we don't want to do that on Monday. You need a day off. And I'm like, thank you that I have somebody in my life that is looking out for my day of rest because I have a propensity to just fill it up. So on Mondays, I mostly stay off my email, mostly. Um, I go hit golf balls and work on my golf game until that gets really frustrating, which is after about five balls, and then I go do something else. Um, I play video games. Believe it or not, I do. I got high school kids, and that's what we do. Um, Melissa and I go out to lunch and, and, and hang out and just spend time together. I fix stuff around the house. That's kind of therapeutic for me. I like doing little projects. It kind of fills me up. Um, I watch shows that I haven't caught up on in a while. Um, but for many of us, we would just be so much healthier in our lives if we would just take a Sabbath one day a week, a complete day a week, and unplug. I mean, maybe even, I know there's a whole family that goes to our church, and on Sundays, I don't know if they physically do this, but everything electronic goes in drawers, and they're like unreachable on Sundays. And I'm like, that's brilliant. I want to do that. We haven't been able to pull the trigger on that. But it's not the day that it's, that's important. It's not like, got to do Saturday, got to do Sunday. It's the concept. It's the concept. Now, in Moses' fifth book, in Deuteronomy, God gives our second insight as to why practicing the concept of the Sabbath is important. First, the Sabbath is an act of rest. Second, you find it in Deuteronomy 5. He says, uh, Moses says, Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. And then he says this, very interesting. He says, remember that you were once slaves in Egypt, but the Lord your God brought you out with his strong hand and powerful arm. That is why, that is why you were once slaves. That's why the Lord your God has commanded you to rest on the Sabbath, which is really interesting if you think about it. Well, let's go back to when they were slaves. God reminds the Israelites who they once were. 
You once were slaves. When they were in Egypt, they were like, they were basically cogs in Pharaoh's brick production system. Like, you want to know how Pharaoh back then built some of the amazing structures he did? He had the entire nation of Israelites as slaves to do nothing but build bricks and make bricks 24-7. God brought them out of that and gave them the freedom they enjoyed. And he reminds them, you were once slaves. You were once forced to work seven days a week. Because slaves didn't get a break back then. So in telling people not to work seven days to observe a Sabbath, God was telling them, don't live like you used to have to as a slave. You don't have to do that. I freed you so you don't have to work seven days anymore. So now I'm going to make you take a day off of remembering the fact that you're no longer what you once were. You're something new. So the second act, the second purpose in the Sabbath is Sabbath as an act of liberation. We don't have to live like or act like slaves anymore. We talked last week, we are created by God to work. It's woven into our identity, which means we can't have a truly meaningful life without work because that's the way God created us. But at the same time, we can't say that work is the meaning of our lives. Because if anything other than God becomes the purpose of our life, we create an idol, something that is more important to us than God, which for some of us, if we were honest, our work is more important to us than God. And we might not say that, but if we just look at how we live our lives, we would know that because our actions kind of, kind of let it, if you watch somebody's life long enough, you kind of see what they really believe and what they really think. So for some of us, um, our work has just become an idol. And God's like, I, I freed you from, from, from having um, idols. I freed you from having to work seven days a week. I freed you from always um, having to check your email and always thinking about the project and always worried about the client, client and always thinking about that grade and exam coming up. Um, you know, wh- what this means according to, to Deuteronomy 5 is that there's a propensity for us to still be slaves to our ambitions. Your ambitions, you could be slave to them having to, to work seven days a week to, to, your, to your careers, to money. You could be a slave to money because you, you either want it so badly or you have to have it so much because your lifestyle is so expensive that you are now a slave to working seven days a week. You're a slave to stuff. You're a slave to your parents' expectations. You're a slave to your children. Um, you're a slave to your insecurities, whatever it is. Um, if you're a slave to it and you're doing something seven days a week, um, You don't have to do that anymore. God's saying, draw a boundary in your life. Say no to work for one day. Observe a Sabbath and you will be healthier. Observe a Sabbath and when you do it, I will bless you on that day. Amazing to think that we can withdraw the hand of God's blessing by not being willing to take a Sabbath. So it's an act of liberation. It's an act of saying, you know what, I don't have to do this. In fact, I'm going to take a day and I'm just going to rest because I'm going to be healthier. I'm going to to honor God. I'm going to do what he told us to. You get to the third insight as to why practicing the concept of Sabbath is important in Leviticus 25. Moses writes, but during the seventh year, the land must have a Sabbath year of complete rest. It's the Lord's Sabbath. Do not plant your fields or prune your vineyard during that year and don't store away the crops that grow on their own or gather the grapes from your unpruned vines. The land must have a year of complete rest. But you may eat whatever the land produces on its own during 
its Sabbath, which is crazy if you think about it. Can you imagine taking a year off um, in a society that if you don't work the land and grow crops, you have nothing to eat? Like that's what God's saying. Seventh year, don't plant anything. Just eat whatever grows there. And so God's saying, don't, even, don't only take uh, seven days, one day off out of seven, but give your land a Sabbath. Give your land a year after six. Now, I don't think it's possible for any of us to take a year off. I mean, maybe. Um, it'd be nice. But I don't think that's the letter of the law that we're supposed to follow. We have to take a year off every seven years. Just go, tell that to your employer tomorrow. Um, you know, go back and just say, hey, I'm, I'm coming up on my seven, six year. Um, at the end of this year, I'm just going to take a year off. So I'll come back. I'll let you know. You know, I'll, I'll, you tell me what you need me to do then and we'll come back. But, uh, but basically what this really is, this principle, is really treating the Sabbath as an act of trust. We need to trust God to provide over trusting in ourselves. So every seventh year, the fields of the Israelites, largely, largely farmers, were to remain fallow. So imagine being an Israelite and you get all of your food and your family you know, gets not only its food but sells the food that you make. And that's how you make a living. And um, God is just saying, hey, for a year, I'll take care of you. For a year, let me provide everything for you. And during that year, maybe you'll learn to just trust me, that I will take care of you. Because God wants us to trust in him more than we trust in ourselves. God was saying, don't worry. I know what you need. I'll cause the land to produce everything you need. You don't have to work it. See, when we observe a Sabbath, it's an act of trust. We're saying, God, I'm going to work as hard as I can for six days, um, just like you've told me, but on the seventh day, I'm going to rest, and I'm going to trust you to work things out. I'm going to trust you that if I don't get to everything on Sunday that i got to get ready for Monday, that you're still going to have a job for me on Monday. It reminds us that he's in charge, and he's who provides everything we need. When we observe it, it allows us to live more fully human lives. And I'll just tell you, a real world incredibly successful company that observes a sabbath is what yeah you guys all know that because it's like you want to go get your jesus chicken after church and you're mad because you're like dang it but i'll just tell you chick-fil-a they're known for observing a sabbath they closed on sundays they've done it for 72 years and here's why truett kathy he's the founder of chick-fil-a he had worked seven days a week in restaurants open 24 hours a day. He was tired because God didn't create us to work seven days a week. And as, as, as we looked at it, as he looked at it, and as we looked at it, the only people that do seven days a week are slaves. Truett saw the importance of closing on Sunday. So he and his employees could set aside one day of rest and worship if they choose. Now, this has come with a cost. You know how much it costs Chick-fil-A to not be open on Sundays? $47.5 million in lost revenue every year. They lose 48, almost $48 million a year they lose because they're not open on Sundays. But one could say that they have made it up a hundredfold because of them being one of the number one chains in America. And they're the only one open six days a week. Isn't that crazy? They're at the top of the heap with healthy employees. When you talk to people that work there, they're like one of the best places to work. The benefits, the way they do things, being on their team is absolutely second to none when you talk to people. They pay well. They get Sundays mandatorily off, if that's a word. And they're one of the most successful. Talk about trust. God, we trust that by taking a Sabbath that you will bless us. Think they're blessed? 
expect of less. God, we trust that we'll have better employees, better employees, if we take a day off a week and bring in zero money but still pay everybody. We trust. You think they have better employees than your average fast food chain? They're just like a living example of what it looks like to trust God. So before I give you the last one, um, we are going to, uh, to receive our offerings. So ushers, if you guys can go on and come forward. Um, and you know what's interesting about this moment? This is an opportunity for us to trust God. It's an opportunity to give to him from what we have and trust him that he's going to make up the difference by, through our generosity, which, by the way, he promises to do. Um, he says, if you will give, I will outgive you. It's a way of trusting him with our resources. So thank you for those of you giving right now. For those of you that are new, let the basket go by. We're not interested in your finances. We're just thankful that you're here. And for those of you that give, thank you for those of you that give online. I know a number of you give online. And if you ever want to start doing that, it's the easiest way to give here. You just go to our website, kensingtonorlando.org give, and uh, it'll take you to where you do that. But thank you for those of you that do that as well. But I've got one more purpose of the Sabbath, and that's this. Sabbath as an act of listening to God. We need to be still and hear God's voice in the quiet times of our lives. And I'm just telling you, if you look around your life and you don't have any quiet moments where you connect with God, I will tell you right now, you haven't heard from him in a while. And I don't need to ask you if you have, I know you haven't. Psalm 46.10, the writer says, be still and know that I'm God. There's something about being still and knowing that God is God that connects the two. Why? Because when you're still, it stops the revolution of the world around you and allows the world to begin to, revol to revolve around God again. Kind of puts things in perspective. Because for a day, if you take a day, we, we can think and contemplate and do what Jesus tells us to do in John 15, verse 4, where Jesus says, remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. To me, part of having a Sabbath is connecting with God, relationally, and making sure that I'm plugged into the vine. Because my tendency of my week is to revolve it going so fast, so fast that that branch just kind of pulls right out of the vine because of the speed I'm living at. And when I get quiet, when I take a Monday and I actually spend time with God and I'm quiet, I feel like I can plug, plug back into him. And what does he say? If you do that, you will be fruitful. If you don't do that, you cannot be fruitful. And some of us, we don't see any fruit in our lives. Things are happening, but it's not fruit. It's not luscious. It's not pretty. In fact, it's pretty, it's pretty not pretty, if, if you're honest. Part of it is you just need to rest and plug back in to Jesus. Because the Sabbath day is holy, and it's blessed if you will keep it. You usher in the blessings of God that only come in through the Sabbath. Let me pray. God, I thank you for today. Lord, I thank you for just a time to sit still and listen for your voice. And God, I thank you for um, just a moment to talk about rest. It's something that we just don't do well in our culture. Help us to see taking a Sabbath day, a full day of rest as an, as an act of rest, as an act of liberation, reminding ourselves that we are free 
we don't have to be a slave to our ambitions and the money that we need and the things we do. We can actually trust you to make up the difference. If we were to take a day off of being productive in our culture and in our company and in our resources and finances, that you can actually fill in the gaps and actually will be better than we were if we were pushing for seven days. And Lord, I pray that we would be people that take a Sabbath to just listen to you. Because Lord, when we are quiet, we can hear your still, quiet voice. And so God, I pray over the next few moments that we would hear your voice and respond accordingly. In your holy name, amen.